0: Welcome to Female Inner Power, the podcast for women who don't want to choose between work success and life happiness. I'm your host, Nomi melkian leadership coach and courage catalyst. Each week, I will share a refreshingly honest conversation about how to trust your intuition, lead from female power in male-dominated spaces, and inspire you to be a more confident force for good in the world. Are you ready? Welcome, welcome to the very first episode of the Female Inner Power podcast. Today's guest is Miali Dermish, an education policy specialist who has previously worked with the UN and is currently based in Brussels as the executive director of Sirius. She has uh, done a master's in international education policy in Harvard and is a citizen of the world. She has three beautiful children And what's extraordinary about Miali, besides from these beautiful accolades and the title she holds, is how she shows up in the world. She believes in the magic of children to create new worlds, bigger and bolder than we adults can imagine. I've had the absolute pleasure of getting to know her first as a member of the Female Inner Power Mastermind, that's now called the Female Inner Power Club, and as a one-to-one coaching client. And what's extraordinary about Miali is she does her inner work she takes responsibility for her part she shows up as a political activist but she leads in a way that's awe-inspiring and you'll hear her talk about what made her feel reluctant to shine or feel like hey it's not quite safe to shine for me as a woman and interestingly for her it wasn't other men it was actually other women Do listen all the way to the end where she talks about, you know, how it is that she now feels like she can do absolutely pretty much anything. Can't wait to share this conversation. So let's take a breath. And dive in. Miali, welcome to the Female Inner Power podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to
1: be here.
0: I have been looking forward to this conversation so much. So, of course, I have had the privilege of coaching you in our one to one sessions and knowing you as part of the Female in a Power Club. And I did a little bit of internet stalking before this conversation. I Googled you and I found out there is. Although I know some of your stories and some of your career history, there's quite a few things that I didn't know. So I'm really excited to dive in before I just launch straight into questions. Can you just tell anyone who's listening and who doesn't know anything about you a little bit about what your work and life looks like right now and perhaps also where in the world you are?
1: Yes, definitely. So I work as the executive director of an NGO that is called the Serious Policy Network on Migrant Education. I have had to train myself to say that slowly because I speak really fast normally and I'm constantly trying to get the name out there. So hopefully everyone will remember it. Um, we're based in Brussels and we work within the EU area Um, And a little bit outside as well for those recent countries that have just left the EU. Um, We do a lot of advocacy on trying to change policies and practices for migrants and refugees who are within the EU education systems. And I have three kids, um, all of whom are at school in a country that they do not come from. So I have a little bit of experience of what it's like to be a parent in that situation. Um, And yeah, I've been here for the last, let me see, three years with, almost three years with Sirius. And I've been in Brussels for the last sort of six and a half years.
0: And originally you're
1: from? Originally, uh, my mum comes from Madagascar. My dad comes from Scotland and I grew up a little bit in Scotland, a little bit in Australia, a little bit in Hong Kong. Um, and I've been many places um, since then. And right now I'm in Brussels. Who knows where I'll be next?
0: <laughs> do you see yourself as a citizen of the world?
1: I do. I really do. Um, I feel comfortable in a lot of places. Um and I feel that belonging is something that needs to be cultivated, whoever you are, wherever you are. Um, and it's our responsibility to, to help other people's cultivate that as well. Um, when we don't know them and when they arrive where we are, um, it's our
0: it's our job. It's our duty. I remember when you first told me about Sirius and the work and. Let me see if I'll describe it in what I would say more like my normal day speak um, without the the fancy policy words that (laughs) this is about migrants, particularly the children that are arriving in a country where they haven't lived before. They probably don't speak the language. And it's figuring out how can these children, often refugees, but not always, have support in their education in their schooling so that they integrate and great get a great opportunity to thrive is, is that did I catch that correctly yeah. something like that
1: yeah definitely um I think it's like spanning all the age groups but particularly kind of from let's say zero to 18 um you arrive somewhere you don't you might not speak the language you might speak it a little bit Sometimes you don't even know where the school is, how you get there, um, whether or not they'll even take you, particularly if you arrive as an unaccompanied young person, it can be really challenging to get into schools. Um, Many schools are segregated in the sense that um, they won't uh, accept as many new arrivals, particularly at older ages, because it might impact their scores and their test Mm. scores, things like that. Um, so we do a lot of work with people who are on the ground who are making those bridges between schools and communities and we do work on everything from anti-racism to multilingualism and how we can actually learn all children in a classroom for example could learn the language of that new kid coming in just a few words to make them feel welcome to let parents feel welcome so yeah a, a lot about welcoming a lot about finding yourself in a sometimes uncomfortable position and what are our responsibilities to help people feel included and what are their responsibilities to try and include themselves in what we do
0: as well it's it sounds and you were talking yourself about it takes it takes something to cultivate belonging and belonging and inclusion I work with a lot of corporations at the moment also who are looking to figure out what is DE&I or however they put the three letters of diversity, could <laughs> say inclusion, but the piece about inclusion and belonging being so important. And here's the meaning I'm making out of it that without a child, and let's so then focus on the series, 18 year old feeling included and welcomed and feeling like they could belong. How could they even begin to concentrate on anything like learning math or writing or whatever?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you work in the same world, really. What we're trying to do is override these biological responses that we have that are constantly ridden with fear and worry, whether it's because we arrive in a new country and we don't have enough food on the table or it's because we've gone through a a really challenging journey or perhaps we've lost a parent on the way. Um, What we're trying to do is try and help kids rewire their brains and feel Belonging and find new connections and ways to look forward to what they have ahead of them so that they can then settle down into learning from their environment in the way that many other children are just able to learn from their environment because. They already have that belonging. They know where they're going to go home to. They know that they're gonna stay in that country. They know they're not moving to another country. They know there's food on the table. Um, They know that they have access to the labor market later on. They can get a job like mum and dad. Um, Those things just de facto don't exist for many migrant and refugee children. And so trying to create systems where they do exist is super important to being able to allow them to get the most out of themselves.
0: I just i I mean, ever since I heard about your work, I just thought it was so incredibly important where so many countries uh, battle with what they will call immigration and second generation Im- immigrants, et cetera, et cetera. and I think if you if you can cultivate that belonging, if you can lower anxiety, if you can have people feel welcomed and included, even though they are different. And if that difference can be made space for how it can enrich all of us. I just, I just love everything about it. And I know there's a lot of people in the world that'll walk around and, and go like, yeah, 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 that's right. And, and that think that lots of things are wrong in the world and, and many of them. We'll talk about it. Some of them will do little bits and pieces. Some of some people will donate regularly to courses they believe in, or some people might volunteer here and there, or try read some articles and be informed. Very few uh, do what I would characterize you ha- as having done: as devoted their life to advocacy and activism and did you always know? Is this like you grew up as a young child thinking I'm gonna write the world's wrong? Like, <laughs> did you know this was gonna happen? Was this like deliberate conscious choice? It's it's so funny, I think. Um
1: I let's just put it this way. I I don't think anyone in my family would be surprised to know the job that I'm doing now. <laughs> Extended and and more. I um I was in the The European Parliament the other day and for some bizarre reason you know totally random we had a Scottish interpreter and my dad's from Scotland I did my first few years of schooling there I really love Scotland Um, I'm half Scottish Um, and I was just texting my brother I was like oh my gosh I'm in the parliament there's a Scottish uh, interpreter and he said why is there a Scottish interpreter can't people just understand the language anyway (laughs) because he thought that someone was interpreting of course A scottish accent to an english accent etc and he said what are you doing in the parliament don't you think you've made enough impact already you need to calm down (laughs) and it just kind of made me realize that i think even my family sort of view me as someone who's just constantly out there you know advocating and activisting about stuff um and i remember actually i deeply remember being a young child and a teenager and being very angry about things and saying them to my father and my father, who is a bit of a social activist himself would say, yes, yes, Miali, but we all know that. And you know, that's just the way life is. And I remember thinking that that was so deeply wrong that we could as humans just accept that other people would suffer in this way when actually, if we work together, we could potentially change that. And that's been something that's kind of run throughout my life. I even, if you would believe it, when I was working with the UN at some point, I met a person of concern, as we call it then, um, and I had a deep connection with them. And they were caring for their children, but also a couple of brothers that had come over with them from the country that they were living in and down the road there was a great karate studio and i thought it's actually not going to be that much for me to buzz a few friends and say have you got 50 euros we could if a few of us got together we could pay for these kids suits and for them to go to karate for the next 2 3 years because the older brothers had found themselves in a school that was really struggling whereas the young kids had found them school themselves in a school that was thriving and having older teenagers in schools that are struggling when they don't speak the language they really need role models they really need access to people and activities that are going to keep them motivated and on track and I remember sending this email to my dad and my dad sent me an email saying you must be coming into contact with many people that are of need you must remember not to help all of them Miali this (laughs) is just not possible and I remember just thinking wow that is what I grew up in this kind of really concentrated environment of you cannot do everything and you know linking it back to the female inner power work that I've done with you like I actually believe I can do anything now and I if I wanted to I could do everything I'm not going to do everything (laughs) Because there are other things I'd like to do with my life as well. But I really, I absolutely could do anything and everything.
0: I just love that. And and what your dad said feels so familiar to, for sure, you know, what I feel is the common sentiment so in many places, it's like, you know, watch out that you don't overstretch yourself and you can't help everyone and that bit of like numbing out because where do I even start but you, so you started so you you got these kids into some karate training yeah 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 they just went
1: and did some karate classes yeah it was great It was really i was so happy about it because it was so simple there was nothing difficult about it you know i contacted the karate guy he told me where to send the money they went in and you know the the dad was really nice he sent me a couple pictures it was just so easy
0: and yeah. is, is, has that been your experience then going on from that? Because, you know, now you're talking about, okay, well, now I feel like I could do anything, which yay for female inner power and, and all that we've been working on. <laughs> Music to my ears. <laughs> I have big visions for, <laughs> for what you will be changing in the world. No pressure. Um, but you said it, it was so easy. So you've done so many things since that. Has has everything felt as easy, or have there been moments where you've then been doubting? Wait, how much can I really change, or is this even a good idea?
1: Oh, there's definitely moments of like deep worry or just feeling stuck and really not knowing whether I'm doing the right thing, um, but one of the, I think one of the, the best things that ever happened to me is that I was born into a family of two teachers and learning and going through that pain of learning is something that's kind of, I think, just within my DNA. And so I am not afraid of the dark spaces and the dark places that you have to go to transform. I actually relish it. Um, I remember you saying at some point, you know, if you if you block yourself from crying, you'll be crying for like a year. But if you kind of go right into it, um, you know, you won't cry for more than 20 minutes. Good luck to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and I, I've, I've had that approach, you know, with things like when I was young, you know, like losing boyfriends and things. I always used to like put on kiss FM or (laughs) I can't remember what it was like heart FM in the UK and be like, I'm going to listen to it all night. And I'd listen to it for like five songs. And I'd be like, right, that's done now. And then I'd try and do it night after night after night. And eventually you just cry yourself out. But I think going to those hard spaces of questioning, like, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? Do I need to hold back for a while? all that kind of stuff, I'm not afraid of. And so I wouldn't say that it's been a smooth journey or an easy journey, but I would say that it's been a very fruitful journey. Um, And that those, I feel like I actually recently have just kind of like come out of a dark space and I'm producing now to an insane uh, amount, you know, the amount of things that I'm producing during the day is unbelievable. And I, I think it's very much due to the fact that I've gone back down into the hole and really started questioning, you know, is this me? Am I doing the right thing? You know, and and how am I going about it?
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important conversation. And I, I mean, you and I both believe in praying and allowing universal forces for support and sometimes within the spiritual communities people are very much like you need to be high vibe all the time and you know don't go into darkness and so the way you were describing it it felt almost like you're attributing the fact that you're so productive right now and and creating so much right now that that has a lot to do with the time you spend in a darker place recently.
1: Totally I mean I really do and I find that quite a lot I mean I think What I noticed is over the last couple of years, where I think a lot of us have been struggling, I was doing a lot of changing and kind of rapid transformation, but I just could not catch a breath. I was exhausted the whole time. And over the summer, I had a deep period of rest, and coming out of that has been magnificent. Um, And the amount of calm I have in my life now while many things are going on is is sometimes so so surprising to me that I can actually sort of hold things together while there's so much going on but a lot of it is because of just running constantly through a difficult place but not being afraid to run there I think Um, and then more recently I had a bit of a burnout in October and I really took a bunch of time off um, just kind of working part-time. And I think sometimes just kind of like maybe it's like I you sort of go back to basics and start thinking about, you know, some of those first questions that I remember that you asked us about, like, you know, what is it that you want? What is it that you want to feel? What is it that you want to have and experience? And why is it that you want those things? And I realize, you know, and again, which I realized the first time, you know, I asked myself those questions a couple of years ago when I started working with you, is that I really want those things. I really want the feel-good, wonderful, fabulous things because I am uniquely placed to do a certain set of things in the world, and unless my needs are taken care of, I can't do those things, and and that doesn't mean that I'm like a super special person or we're all a super special person, but I've just defined what my super specialness is. And I know that to pursue it, I need to have a certain set of, you know, experiences that make my life more comfortable or or happier or, or more joyful. Um, and so kind of retreating back into asking those really simple questions again, which I'm sure I'll do in another two years again, um, has been, you know, is is sometimes a little bit daunting because you're, am I going backwards? What am I doing? You know, I'm asking these questions. Why am I asking them again? And and why is this happening? But you're actually going forwards in a way.
0: I, I wonder whether you can share a little bit more about what you're, telling yourself in that process of course I've been closing and and been witnessing witnessing up close but that moment when and also for people listening it's not like you don't have responsibility so you say oh well I took some deep breaths and I was working part-time but you didn't close serious you're responsible for a team there there are several humans there that are looking to you for direction and for their personal you know development and for support as well as all the programs and partners you have and board responsibilities so you are responsible in many different directions both to humans and courses. and so it wasn't that you stopped anything what did you tell yourself in that period where you're like wait I, I'm <laughs> there's so much to do in this world and all these humans how did you yeah how did you talk to yourself in that period to give yourself the permission and the space to work part-time and to make that work
1: um you know, I'm, I'm really lucky. I have an amazing team and I, I really believe in allowing people growth as a manager and giving them an environment where they can fail so that they can learn. And I guess essentially I have a pretty good grip of what we are allowed to fail on and what is really priority. And so I kind of looked ahead and I, you know, identified like sort of two or three things like, well, if those don't happen, we don't get the money. If we don't get the money, we kind of close. So let's just make sure those happen. And then I kind of slotted them in and then everything else, you know, this could be a good learning experience for this person this could be a good learning experience for that person i'll try and take on a bit of this and it's just really i think about sort of skills management and 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 figuring out how i can help meet other people's perhaps unknown needs to learn <laughs> while just keeping myself you know kind of
0: afloat as it were yeah so it was It's both the the mantra that it's okay to fail. And in fact, this will provide learning experiences for others as I step back and I know what matters most and simplifying what are the few key pieces that really are the most important and then everything else will be how it will be. It's allowing quite a lot of space and permission and not controlling, you know, it's not control type leadership. It's much more an allowing um, and spacious way of leading.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's an analogy that I, I think I've picked it up from that Cheryl Samba, book lean in but I'm not totally sure. I could be totally lying. Um, but basically there are some balls and I, I was thinking about it last night because I was thinking about why I ended up in a bit of a burnout. And I know why I ended up in the burnout. Someone that works with me, dropped something from a very low height that was crystal. They dropped a crystal ball. And I was in the place of catcher, and I had to catch it. If I didn't catch it, a massive part of our raison d'etre, really, would would go. And so I caught it. And in catching it, I burned out. Um, But you know what? There are very few crystal balls in this world. That's my experience. There are very, very few crystal balls. There are some glass balls. There's a lot of rubber balls. They just bounce (laughs) down and then they go right back up. And there's a bunch of plastic balls that kind of, kind of, they don't really bounce. They do that kind of brrrr. And then they're just (laughs) hanging around, lying and waiting for you to pick them up for when you're ready. So... I now kind of view everything as like I, I, <laughs> I just the quality of every ball by like what material it's made out of, but I have a much better capacity now to tell people, you know, what their ball is made out of and how important it is in the scheme of our organization and then respond appropriately.
0: Love that. And such a beautiful <laughs> metaphor to pass on. It's like this ball you're holding, that's made of crystal. So really take care of that because I think, you know, coaching so many wonderful humans and they're like, I have all this to do. And they they don't seem in the busyness in that moment, they're not able to discern what is crystal, what is a plastic ball. And then again and again and again, I found that always if I ask people to close their eyes and stop and breathe and ask them what are the three most important things that really matter right now and that'll matter in a year's time to everyone no matter what their role no matter whether they work for themselves or someone else whatever field they work in they always know but in the busyness of doing which a female in a power club will often talk about as a masculine in the doing 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 when you don't step back and breathe and allow space for a moment there is no clarity it's just depletion totally
1: yeah totally um I think what's really great with me is that I'm flanked by a load of amazing women um and many who share this kind of um overall ethos even if we're all at different kind of spaces and in, in learning on the past, you know, cause some of us are 50 and some of us are 20 or in our 20s, let's say, um, but, you know, we talk very openly about um, stress management, about mental health, actually about, you know, taking time off about, um, you know, figuring out what's important and what's not important what's urgent and what's not important I'm thinking of that like Eisenhower matrix Mm. of the urgent not urgent all that we did a training at work the other day on it we kind of did a peer training and some of my team members just instantly got it and I remember actually um mentioning it to one of my team members who had said oh I'm not sure that's really going to be useful and in my head I thought actually I thought it might be useful for you in my but okay maybe it's not and then when we actually did it, because it was led by a colleague of ours, they were like, oh my gosh, this is really useful. And I thought, okay, you know, <laughs> um, there are things that we don't see. So as a leader, it is my responsibility to kind of shine a light on which of the balls are crystal and which of the balls are rubber. Some people just know it already because they've been, they've got so much life experience. And some people will need to be kind of like, you know, shown that light a little bit. Um
0: yeah, one of the things I didn't know before stalking you earlier today <laughs> <sounds> was <laughs> researching. Research you're in the field of research. When I was researching you, was this not for profit that you set up in Madagascar? <laughs> how old were you when you set up a not for profit? And uh, how did you how did you get an idea to set up a not for profit by yourself? Um. You know, I, I don't know. I think when I was a kid I always wanted to do
1: that, to set up a not for profit. Did you know um, what a not-for-profit was when you were a kid? Do you know I thought it would be like a community center at first. In my mind I was like, oh, when I'm when I'm when I'm older, I'll just set up like a, a center and there'll be loads of people moving in and out and doing things and having fun and doing art, and music, or helping kids and doing homework and this and that. Like just I had this like busy hive kind of of a place set up and, you know, there'll be people wearing wool jumpers and, you know, <laughs> making cups of tea and kids who've lost their mums will come in and other mums will come and hug them and it would just be lovely. <laughs> um, So I think I had that idea in my mind. Um, And it kind of evolved as I went through education, you know, because there are sort of things you should be doing and things you shouldn't be doing. And so it changed. And then I kind of found this space in my life and I I really... I really wanted to try and do something in Madagascar because my mom's there f- from there and I haven't spent a lot of time there or I hadn't spent a lot of time there as a child. And I, yeah, I think I was about 26 or something, 25, 26, 27, something like that. Um, and I had been working on quite an interesting project um, through a big NGO that I was working with. And I thought this is the kind of thing or topic that I could bring into Madagascar. Um, and so I, I talked with, uh a couple of people and gathered like around 8 12 NGO leaders um people and kind of like started by having a big conversation about what the work they were doing what they felt was not funded what they felt could be funded what was important um and just kind of yeah rolled ahead with it um I had been working in the NGO world so I knew people to gather to put a board together um and that was kind of an easy an easy piece for me and the board were really great. Um, I also happened to have, you know, one of my best, best friends from when I was 14 is, um, uh, or at that point was a, an accountant with KPMG. So that really helped to have the finance side sorted um and yeah we just we we rolled into funding small projects and I feel really really happy now to say it's probably one of the biggest I'm thinking with are serious I've also done some things that I'm really proud of but probably for a long time I think the biggest career accomplishment in my life was that I basically gave the first piece of funding to what is Madagascar's kind of number one youth organization now led by an amazing woman um it's called Youth First um they do insane incredible work and I feel really proud that I came into contact with her and she was just an amazing human and I was like I've got to get you some money come on let's figure this out
0: where um, did you get money and, from yeah. um, you're making so- it all sound easy I mean I, I know it's not you're making it sound well I just gathered some NGO leaders and I knew people and I had a friend who you know, knew accounting <laughs> and then I just made it happen where did you where did you get money from You
1: know what? I actually got like private donors. I um I started. It's kind of funny. I started. Um, I ran one of those uh, campaigns where you do you know you do like an athletic endurance event. So I did a triathlon, and then I just uh, made a couple of videos. And I happened to be um, in the US at the time, um, or my husband was working in Massachusetts, and so um, there's a lot of wealthy people around there who have. um, You know, I you sort of mentioned it earlier. You know, like some of us. You know, want to do this with our lives. Some of us want to do that. Some of us want to fund stuff, and there were just a lot of people I felt that wanted to fund stuff. And so I would get, you know, like a couple hundred from this person, five hundred from that person. But you know, that goes quite a long way in in Madagascar. You know, you you give you give an organization five hundred U.S. dollars, and 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 you can do things with it. Particularly because we were funding young people with 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 youth projects that they wanted to do in their schools or in their local community centers, and so. That was really um, it really wasn't as difficult as all as all that. But, you know, I don't know. Everything was just, you know, I don't know, just flowing at that point in my life. And yeah, it was um, a really joy making experience. I loved it. I loved it.
0: And yeah. it sounds like it was for a period of time. And then yeah. it ended. it yeah. were you doing it full time or were you doing other things while you were? Running that no, market.
1: I think I was doing it like th- maybe two and a half days a week. And I was doing consultancy for the other two and a half days. Um, and I found, you know, some interns in the US. And then I found some people in Madagascar to work with me. Um, and so it was it was doable. Um, I ended up closing because I decided to take a second master's degree Um so just racking them up um <laughs> i yeah i had a pretty unique opportunity to do a master's in international education policy at harvard and i just absolutely loved it um and it's really it's brought me into who i am today really um and i think oh this is so terrible to say but i think you know there i always kind of felt like a fraud I I think we do. You know, there's this whole imposter syndrome and then does it really exist if the whole world is against you? Does an imposter syndrome actually exist (laughs) if everyone's telling you you're useless? Are you really thinking you're useless because you are or you're not? Or, you know, subjectivity, objectivity, all that kind of stuff. But essentially, I think I felt like a fraud and I went and I learned a lot um, in my studies and I changed a lot. And I changed my way of talking, I changed my way of approaching data, I changed a lot. And since then, I have felt less like a fraud, and really empowered to, to just speak out a little bit more. And I'm I'm glad I did it. It's maybe sad that I had to, you know, go to university to find my voice in a way. Um, but. You know, that is the world that we live in. And I'm actively trying to make that not the world that we live in. So that's OK. It's OK that I had that experience to to put what I'm putting in the world now. And, you know, I have to say, I, I really have to say that I absolutely love the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And I would recommend anyone to go there. Um, I had experiences that were incredible there. I worked on a couple of research projects um, and I found out about a lot of the good work that the university does. And it really, and it yeah, it really made an impression on me. It really did.
0: Wow. Well, what was your greatest learning about running this not-for-profit? So sounds like it was totally the right choice to end it when you did it and and it was sort of the maturity of what you'd learned to go and study at Howard and having this opportunity. But what was your greatest learning that you took with you from running this not-for-profit?
1: Oh, it's, it's a really good question. I think, um, I think it was maybe around kind of decision-making and pivoting. And always being ready to take new information on. I I felt... So I started it just before we had a pretty big political crisis in Madagascar. And that sent a lot of donors leaving the country. And that meant that people were starving for money. And that really... You know, I it, it, it was within the first few months and it really made me have to listen a lot more than I think I anticipated because I previously was walking into a slightly different architecture, had a fairly fixed idea of where I could be of use and sort of undertook sort of the analyses to figure out whether that would be of use and very... Sh- quickly afterwards was when I ended up gathering the group of people who were leading NGOs and saying um we started this um I don't feel it's useful and I would like to be of service but only if it is of service what I can do is raise money for sure I can do that I know I can do that um and let me know what What is it that you think would be most useful? And so I think it was about kind of learning how to pivot quickly when environments change. And the best way to understand kind of environments when they change is, is just to be listening and observing.
0: Sounds like an incredible experience. And I just think back to, wow, you were 26 when you just were like, hey, in a country I've never really lived I'll just go and do some good and I'll just make it happen and and you listened and you were like these are my strengths and here's all what I don't know tell me what I don't know and can I be useful
1: yeah yeah I guess yeah I I guess I hadn't thought of it like that but <laughs> you know you just do these things right you're just you're driven by whatever it is I felt like it was the right thing to do at the time. I was in flow, I was happy, and and I was not the one suffering.
0: Mm. And I often think that the less thinking, the better. I mean, mm. it sounds like you were listening and you were taking action, but you weren't overthinking anything, which often is where I see a lot of people get stuck.
1: Yeah, actually, it is one of those instances when I wasn't overthinking I am quite an overthinker but I am slowly moving more into my body and just kind of doing what it takes me to do.
0: Mm. I know one of the things you're really passionate about and you mentioned also the team you've built around you in Syria That you're very passionate about sisterhood. Could you say more about your passion for sisterhood?
1: Yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know I think a lot of it stems from I grew up you know, I grew up as a mixed race kid in Scotland for the beginning part of my life. Um, I always, and and then we moved various places, but I always saw my mum struggle really, I think with navigating new cultures and contexts and not sort of being in the top dog position she might've been had she been in her own country. And also struggling with, you know, probably a bit of kind of health stuff, um, you know, probably like perimenopausal, menopausal stuff, which I think, you know, also kind of led to maybe some mental health stuff. And I always, as a young, as a teenager, and I think in my twenties, I really searched for someone who would be a mentor to me, like a female mentor. And I, 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 I now realise that I ha- I did find it in many different spaces, but I think that we do search for kind of mentors in many ways as women. And what we're really looking for, I think, is in a way peer mentors, or at least I found that kind of peer mentors have been just amazingly helpful. Like I remember working in a big organization at some point and finding someone in HR that I could chat with and we could chat about different things. And I realized at some point that we were in basically a peer mentoring relationship. And that was really beautiful because she taught me a couple of things about nonviolent communication. I remember once when a male colleague of mine um, was sort of trying to intervene in something that um wasn't really their business um and was actually sort of my data my research my presentation but was sort of trying to present it to someone else when I wasn't at work because I was out at a meeting or something <laughs> she called me up and said is I just want to let you know that so-and-so's uh popped into so-and-so's office to make an appointment um to present I think what might be your work um you need to if you want to do this if you want to do the space on, you need to come into the office now and do it. And so I actually went into the office at that point and I faced that person head on um, using the nonviolent, the NVC stuff that they had taught me. And it was amazing. It was a very empowering experience to have a sister at work who had your back. And I feel that we live in a world where we don't always get that sisterhood for whatever reasons. And um, I remember the first time that I, I've I've said this to you before, but the first time I had a female in a power, it was a mastermind course. um, And you you asked everyone to um, repeat, it's safe for me to shine. And I said at that point, I'm sorry, I I just can't say that um, because I, I really felt that it wasn't. But I think the truth was, the reason why i don't feel or why i didn't feel it was safe to shine was not because of men it was because of women and i i'd had this experience of being cut down and you know oh look at you you're so sort of I, I don't know how to explain it but when we look at other women we say oh look at you and look at you in your nice skirt and your fancy world and you this and you're that and you're the next thing <laughs> I have felt that experience from from when I was a small child. And my mum used to talk to me about it. And she says, we have to protect you because, you know, there are people that are not going to like you. Um, and it was kind of ingrained in me. And so having this experience, you know, in my 30s of a peer mentor, a sister that just stood up for me was just so powerful. And it's something that I really believe we need to do for each other. Um, and I see in younger women a lot that I work with that they're really looking for a mentor, for someone to help them, to help them grow through things, but that the need is so deep, it it's kind of overpowering. And I again a reference to Cheryl, um, remember reading in her book Lean In about a conversation she had with a young woman that she felt she was mentoring and then the woman said to her well the thing is i'm really looking for a mentor and cheryl said well ooh. in her mind she said well hang on i think i uh, have offered that to you we don't have a formal contract but you know i'm kind of like your mentor right so instead she said well what is it that you're looking for you know you're looking for a mentor what does that mean and i think it's a great question And then the young woman said to her, I think I'm just looking for someone to sit down with me once a week for like an hour and really listen and help me. And in essence, that's not a mentor, that's a therapist, right? Or a coach or a psychologist. And I think our need for sisterhood and our need for female mentors and peer mentors is so deep that we are seeking such self-worth in individuals and we're not providing it in general so you know i would love to see a world where we can try and provide small snippets of that to people more and more so that that need sort of slowly diminishes um and i've i've just been really lucky to i think have read that little snippet by cheryl at some point and to start recognizing and noticing these instances in my life when women have stood up for me and women have held my hand through things and women have stayed quiet through respect or whatever it is that previously I didn't notice because I chose, I think, for whatever reasons, my brain chose back then to feel the women that were judging me and not the ones that were
0: elevating me. Yeah, There's so many things to say about what you just said, but so incredibly important. And I, my experience is that unless we feel that we can rise together and that we are expanding together it is very hard to feel safe to shine when we are in our feminine as whatever gender you identify as but when we are in our feminine we want to do it together we don't want to do it alone and i think this is why we'll see a lot of women with massive success who are totally in their masculine um and so Mm. gender wise they might identify as a woman they might present as a woman but they're totally in the masculine because what they have been taught is the way you succeed is by putting yourself first and doing it alone and don't rely on anyone because they're gonna stab you in the back and you can't trust anyone and you just like just get on with it and don't rely on any, anyone. And when we are our feminine, we want to do it together. We want a partner. We want to rise together. We actually don't want to stand up there alone, being the only one. We, we want to do incredible things. We want to lead, we want to impact. And only if our sisters and for that men, all the brothers and people that identify as non-binary, but everyone will rise with us because actually we don't want to stand there Alone. And then it becomes like a bland version, then I'm just not going to shine at all because then I might stick out and then they might, you know, cut me down or judge me or they'll do it to my face or behind my back. And so that bit of rooting for each other. And I mean, motherhood is one of those, isn't it? Like straight away people judge. Do you see how she mothers her children? (laughs) (laughs) That's like straight away from when you're pregnant, you're told what you're doing wrong and everyone has an opinion whether they have children or not. Everyone's been a child, had parents so they will they will judge but also like you said at, at work and how people choose to navigate their world of work oh she works too much oh she's not or oh, this one is not very ambitious this this piece of having an opinion about other people would be very helpful if we stop having an opinion and when we notice because we will judge because we're wired to judge but I was just thinking when you were talking instead of going, what's my opinion on that person? How could I root for them? How could I root for them yeah. and show them my support? How could I have their back more? And if each time we noticed a, a judgment or an opinion, oh, well, you know, she like, right. It's like she spoke up too much or she didn't speak up and she should have spoken up. And it goes, we'll we'll judge in either direction. <laughs> and when we notice that it's like, oh, how could I back that? And we we're talking here sisterhood. How could I back up that woman? How could I root for her? How yeah. could I make her feel supported? And if we can make that switch in us, then I think it's, I mean, that's one of the one of the pieces of the female in a power club is like a safe space where we're there rooting for each other and you can be witnessed, right? Like you can shine and we brag. And for anyone who haven't heard me talk about bragging, the importance of that, I mean, the most fun is to ask women to brag because no one really brags at all because they're not trying to look better than anyone. They just finally say things that are important, that they navigated and that they made it through and that they accomplished. And because we say brag, it's like permission to shine, permission to just be showing up as some of the best parts of me without having to diminish it. It's just permission to be to be the best part of me for a moment and it's not going, oh, this is all of me. It's like just that permission. But that sisterhood, totally agree, it makes such a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think you're just making me think of like a couple of of stories, but um, particularly I think there's a generational aspect to understanding sisterhood because the young people that I work with are so feisty and they speak out so much more than I think many of us would have have dared to and you know we're perhaps only in our kind of like early 40s but then I look above and I think I've spoken out so much more in some ways than women I know that are in their 50s and 60s in different fields and when you ask yourself you know is how can I see this person as an ally how can I help elevate her is she helping to elevate me I think it's really important to understand that generational difference because I remember someone I I worked with um in a, again kind of like a a big organization someone who was above me and I sort of was confused because I really felt that I I vibed with them they really they were super smart so sharp so amazing and somehow there were there were things that were occurring with me that I felt that they could have stepped in and sort of said hang on hang on we need to make sure this doesn't happen and I was a bit confused as to why they might not have been doing that in different ways but um this was a very very senior person and I remember having a meeting at some point with them and several other people a question was posed about my technical area and I felt that it was to me to answer and so I answered the question technically and then stopped talking as you do and then a colleague of mine male colleague I will mention (laughs) um, although it could equally mean someone really feeling in their masculine basically mansplained what I said and this colleague this very very high ranking official said very quietly Ah, isn't that just what Miali said? And the whole room was just deathly silent. And then the mansplainer said, yes, yes, it was. And it was just this deeply powerful moment when I saw that the way that this person could afford to stand up for young women and younger women in the workplace was just so different to what kind of we have in our hearts and minds as the heroine that will kind of fly in and save us, the mummy figure that we never had, that mentor that would sit with us for an hour a day. And I suddenly started to view all women as kind of different, like everyone is going through their own thing. Look for the ways that they're supporting you. Don't look at the ways that you think that they're not stepping in or that they're putting you down. And it was really transformational for me, that experience, um, because it was such a quiet and, and, and brave thing to do. But at the same time, it was, this was a woman who had all the power in the room. So no one was going to, you know, say anything against her. And she just used it to, to sort of say, we do have someone here who's very good at their job. It's me, Ali. When she says we should do this, let's do it and that was just really yeah it was a great experience
0: Amy <laughs> hey, michels when you when you said that and that beauty of just calmly with one sentence changing the energy and the direction of the conversation but also t- changing where the power was held in that room changing where people are directing their attention and going oh yes let's listen to her beautiful and i love what you said about let's activate you know let's pay attention to where they are supporting us. And and we do know the, what we focus on grows. We can look at how people are not supporting us and we can look at, Hey, wait, you know, here are women that are supporting me and, and how else can I show up and support and root for others and in every kind of way, whether it's the mom at the playground or whether it's someone we work with or someone who's leading in a big way. Um Miali, I have one or two more questions, but before we get to the final questions, and I could totally keep talking to you, and thankfully, I think <laughs> I will get to in other ways. If if anyone listening thinks, "Hey, I so want to connect with Miali, or I want Miali to come and," um, share her views maybe to my organization about inclusion and how we foster belonging, or if they want to support Sirius, if they in any way want to connect with you or the work you're up to, what's the best way of them connecting?
1: um my email is on the serious site and i believe that you're going to link to it hopefully somewhere below your in your podcast um and if not just look for serious policy network um on migrant education um and if you go to our team you will find me and my wonderful picture um right at the top and my email is there Get in touch. Um, I'd love to talk to you about anything and everything, um, inclusion, diversity, um, equality, however you term it, um, we can find ways to link to, to what we believe it is. It's about belonging and inclusion and fostering the best selves that we can be.
0: Of that we will definitely link to Sirius and we will link maybe also to your LinkedIn profile so that people can connect with you there. Uh, I want to go back as a final question to, you said early on, now I feel like I could pretty much do anything. I'm not going to do everything, (laughs) but I pretty much could do anything for any woman listening going, how is she feeling that? And what makes her say that? What has helped you And, and what continues to make you because it's not a staying it's not a constant always for us, what helps you feel that and and how do you keep coming back to that feeling that thought
1: um, you know i I think this there's a couple of things that I think think back on that I have just kind of practiced religiously for the last couple of years, having been sort of introduced to them. I mean honestly, not even introduced to them by you because it's not like the thought of these things never crossed my mind before. <laughs> it's just kind of like trusting that you're going to try it out and then being like, Oh, well that worked. So I'll just carry on doing that. So I think one of them is just a uh, self-care. It, it's not even self-care for me. It's just called my life. Um, I, you know, whatever it is for you, it can be, it's something I, 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 we run some training courses and I always say to people, just turn up as your best self. I don't care what it takes to be there. If you need to switch off the camera for the first 15 minutes and have a cup of tea, do that. If you need to go on a run the day before, do that. If you need to call your best friend, do that. Whatever it is, just turn up as your best self because I need your best self and we need your best self to get this work done. Um, and that's what I believe about myself. Like I do kind of some endurance training. I do a bit of running. I do a little bit of swimming. I do some kettlebells. I take cold showers. I kind of eat in a certain way. I do acupuncture and massage every now and again. I spend bags of time cuddling and tickling my children. I don't work on a Friday after about 3.34. I just hang out with my kids to get a good head start to the weekend I sometimes wake up at 6 on Sunday and do some strategy work because I'm really clear and clean then and I love strategy work. I spend a lot of my time programming around me and what I need. And I sleep a lot. I uh, I really try and go to bed kind of at like 10, 10.30, um, which I think is key. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, things. one thing I will say that may be, I don't know, interesting, not interesting – um when I was like a few years ago I was pretty exhausted kind of mentally emotionally health-wise and I would sleep 9 hours easily now I probably sleep 7 hours and then I'm just up and it's because I spent a, quite a few years like 3 4 years really investing in my health and in my sleep and in all those things and I think That there is a narrative a little bit sometimes that we hear that's like, just wake up earlier and do the whatever it is. And I completely agree that sometimes that's the right thing to do. But I, at some point, was at a time in my life where I'd had so little sleep due to young children that waking up earlier would have been detrimental to me. And I slept. And in typical fashion, I did experience other mothers who were judgmental about that and like well i just wake up half an hour earlier to do my meditation and i felt that was really hard like i felt so upset that i was being judged for just pouring my heart and soul into waking up at night with little kids um and so i spent a couple of years sleeping nine hours and i don't need to do that anymore and i now i'm in a position where If I don't get up a little half an hour early, it's because I'm being a bit lazy and I'm okay with that. (laughs) Um, But I think that self-care aspect, whatever it is and wherever you are with it, is really important. Um, And that is not just because I work in the world that I work in. That is not to say that there are not a whole host of structural barriers that prevent women in many ways from doing self-care. But. Many of us are capable of closing our eyes for five seconds and taking a deep breath. That is self-care. And if you can do it, I highly recommend it. Sometimes it's not possible, but I I would wish that everyone was able to do some some of those small things. So I think that's the one thing that's really helpful. And then um, I would say there's a kind of radical self-love element. I think you have some work around Nomi and I started <laughs> I started kissing myself <laughs> um and Just saying to myself, you're such an amazing person, Mia. Look at all you've achieved. So how do you do this? It's incredible. Look at you. You're so awesome. And now you're going to go out and do it all again. Who are you? You're a superwoman. No, you're not a superwoman. You're like a perfect woman, you know, just super, like, positive, crazy talk in the morning. Um, And, like, kiss myself. And it only lasts, like, 30 seconds, a minute, a minute and a half. But it's super funny. It's super fun. And I think it fills me with a little bit of love every day that allows me to go out there and give a bit more love. Um, and that's really good. Um, and then I would say the third thing is a little bit what we talked about before. Don't be afraid to go into the darkness because it is such a nourishing space. And the you have to go through the pain to get to... Who you're supposed to be, yeah,
0: love all of those, <laughs> and yeah, self care is often dismissed as something nice to have, but you're like, this is my life, and this is what it requires for me to be at my best and to lead, and if I'm going to change the world and raise three wonderful humans and all the things, this is what what is required and the piece about talking to ourselves and, you know, kissing our arms. It's so funny, isn't it? How we can feel embarrassed by that. But Hey, all of us have a mean inner critic that will, you know, we don't feel embarrassed by saying, Oh, well, I have a mean inner critic and, you know, it talking to me all day long, but why would we feel embarrassed to go, actually, I give myself a really loving, wonderful pep talk. Like let's normalize that let's normalize that because if we have a mean inner critic we've got to balance and activate another part of us um and going into the dark parts and loving loving the dark parts and that being part of the journey also so good thank you so much for this time and for being here on the podcast
1: thank you it's been so nice to connect with you again and just yeah open up so much stuff it's it's given me a lot of food for thought as well
0: thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes and i would love it if you would rate and review the show as it really does help other women to find it more easily remember no matter what's going on around you it only takes a single breath to start grounding back into your power so let's take a breath Feel your power and go spread the magic.